0: Welcome to the Haunted Hacker Podcast. Today, we have a new uh, a new guy on the podcast for an interview, Grant Elliott. Um, I'll let him introduce himself. Uh, this is our first time speaking, and I know a lot about his background and the platform he's going to talk about today, but we'll launch into that here shortly. Uh, some updates about the podcast. Um, everything's going smooth. Uh, we're still under PIA, uh, which is PIA VPN, if anybody wants to... Uh, Protect their data, protect their privacy. Go to piavpn.com PIA and uh, grab yourself a VPN client. Uh, with, with that, we'll go ahead and get started. Grant, it's a it's a pleasure having you. I, I know that we've struggled to to get the the timing right. Um, I, I faced a, a huge medical issue at the end of the year last year, and it kind of bled over to this year. Uh, but everything's good now, and it's it's finally uh, great to have you on the show. It's great to be here, and I'm glad you're uh, you're you're on the mend. Awesome. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and, and what brings you to the Hunted Hacker podcast?
1: Sure. well, I mean, as I'm sure people have already gathered now, I have an unusual accent. So I'm originally from a just outside Glasgow town called Paisley, but I've lived in the U.S. now, I guess, since 1999. My background is originally being in telecoms. Um, and, and then at a certain point when I get transitioned to the U.S., I started working in a digital health company uh, and was the chief operations officer and chief information security officer. That's really kind of where I can, I guess, earn my spurs, so to speak, on the kind of information security side of things. I was responsible for basically building the security program from scratch and then trying to navigate some pretty heavy audits from a a number of the major payers, providers, etc. So, you know, um, it was a it was a baptism of fire to say the least. I had a bit of a quality background previous to that, so I wasn't completely unprepared. Uh, but uh, you know, it was certainly a journey. And I spent eight years doing that, uh, and, and basically kind of learning my trade, so to speak. And it kind of really struck me at a certain point that there weren't great tools in the marketplace to help. What I consider to be an operational challenge uh, rather than a technical challenge, um, and so there were always great technical tools in the marketplace, but you know the kind of operational procedure of building and maintaining security programs seemed to be a little bit um, left aside. There were GRC platforms, but again, they seem to be kind of redundant from my perspective. You know, sitting at the side, uh, an overlay process, and a little bit inefficient. So the concept of you know, Astendio came from that that that, that idea of how do you build a platform that manages the operational workflow of building a security program and allows you to track and manage all the evidence and effort that you do to to, to manage that. And so we launched that back in about 2013 and it's been a journey since then.
0: Very cool, very cool. Um, So one of the questions I had about the platform. um, So when you talk about building a security program, I know with different industries, you have different uh, policies and different uh, regulations you have to meet, you know, with, with, uh, with NERC, you have different uh, pen tests and requirements required for that maturity of a security program within like SCADA or or critical infrastructure. So your platform, does it build in those different types of, let's say policy audits or or whatever um, framework into the platform so that that's pre, pre pre-populated when you're building your security program?
1: So what i found you know, during this journey is nomenclature is interesting. So depending on what type side of the fence you're in, you know, different words can mean different things. Right. And um, what I also realized as well that, you know, people that kind of grow up on the technical side of this kind of come to an answer before they even ask the question. So a lot of the kind of uh, technical solutions you 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 outlined there are really actually uh, implemented to mitigate specific controls. So the first thing you have to understand is okay, what are, what's the challenge I'm trying to solve? Right. Uh, And, you know, increasingly, that's a challenge around data. What data am I trying to protect? Where is my data? Um, How do I assess the value of that data? Um, And once you identify what data you have, where it is, who has access to it, you then start implementing um, different types of controls to protect that data. So, you know, my favorite one is always, let's say today, a lot of people will go to AWS. And they go to AWS and put their data in AWS without really thinking about how many control mitigations just that third party service provides for them, right? They're not thinking about the fact, you know, because AWS automatically typically does a good job on physical security, on fire, on, on flag, etc. Um, whereas when you look at a kind of security framework, it's going to ask you those questions, it's going to say specifically, how are you protecting against those specific threats, right? right. And so People tend to come from it a little bit backwards on the technical side. They implement common control and common things, which makes a lot of sense. Um, they don't realize what they're actually doing is they're kind of pre-answering questions that they haven't actually asked themselves. And really, our platform is about taking people through that journey. So we talk about this concept of building your program, operating it, and then showcasing it. And part of the building is basically going that process of identifying, okay, what are the gaps? What am I trying to do? And then some of the technical controls you implemented, that's basically how you go
0: about mitigating that control. So basically, your company is acting as a trusted advisor and a part of that security team to help develop that practice and help mature that practice along. And I think that's really cool because, you know, a lot of people dump those those frameworks and those those templates and, you know, all these questionnaires onto the client and say, here you go. Let's let's meet this, this compliance level by doing this. But they're not really the trusted advisor, someone who comes in and says, hey, let me be a part of your team and help you build from the ground up which I think is really cool. One of the challenges, I wanted to ask you about this. One of the challenges that, that a lot of companies face when it comes to building out something like this is the fact that, so the compliances and you know the different regulations that they have to match, right? Let's say it's it's FedRAMP. As an attacker, one of the things that I do is I look at, at the company and the type of compliances that they have to fall under. And I go back to that, that framework and I look at what they should have in place and what they verified is in place. And I formulate my attack based on that. Is there, what is your biggest challenge when it comes to, you know, looking at the security development lifecycle of of a security group, right? And implementing all of these these checks and and balances. What is the biggest challenge on getting that up to speed before the attacker gets into into that midstream and, and causes disruption?
1: So I think the biggest challenge we face generally within organizations is perspective, right? You know, why are you doing this? What is your motivation to build a security program? Is your motivation to basically build a defensive posture to try and protect your organization against as many threats as you possibly can? Or is it to be compliant, right? right. And competing priorities because they don't mean the same thing. And, you know, this is a kind of a well, well-spoken over kind of conundrum, right, that they have. But if you're building a compliance program to that point, right, you're having to be compliant to something. You have to go back to the origin of why these security frameworks begin in the first place. The the the, the security frameworks are not in place for the purposes of an audit, they're in place because people have tried to come up with how do we set the most common ways of setting up a, a perimeter or a protection for this organization. We know everything from, you know, kind of top 20 to, you know, uh, the various different, uh, uh, you know, frameworks like SOC, which are much more malleable to, as you said, Fender, FedRAM, that are much more prescriptive. There are lots of different attempts to try and build out a structure that gives people kind of like a staging post for building the maturity of a security program. Right. But, they're tools right it's a guidepost. it's not meant to be prescriptive it's not like hey if i get through a fed ramp audit then i'm automatically secure and no one can touch me it's just a staging post in a a process to try and build a more secure posture for you and again i think the second mistake that organizations make is the concept of thinking that there is a destination right I mean, this is a perpetual journey, right? You're continually looking to get better, right? You're using these frameworks, again, as a mechanism to guide your journey. This journey never ends, right? You know, you're never going to be risk-free, right? You can reduce the risk um, to something that's acceptable. And so I think the challenge is, you know, to some degree you make the point, it's easy for an attacker, right? An attacker only has to get it right once. The defender has to get it right all the time. An attacker doesn't have to play the rules, The defender typically has to play the rules. And so I think the the, the biggest mistake I think organizations make is comes to this concept of why am I doing it? And
0: too many of them are doing it for the wrong reason. Also, one of the challenges that that I think a lot of people face too, you talk about identifying what's critical data and what's important data to a client. And I think from what I've I've seen in pen test and red teaming events and just doing basic uh, consultation is that when it comes to data and what's important, it kind of reminds me of the early days when we would go to a company and say, what are your critical assets? And it would take them forever to identify that because first of all, they weren't really aware of all of their assets. And secondly, they didn't really understand what criticality or what that risk meant. Do you, do you still see that same kind of challenge now currently with your platform
1: Look, I, I don't think that despite the, uh, the progress of, of the tools that we have in the market, that the, the mindset around security has changed very much in the last 30, 40 years, right? We talk a lot about trying to uh, talk to our clients in a, in, a, in a color world, in a black and white world, we're trying to talk color, right? And so you realize that people have been doing the same thing for, for, for so many, many years. Spreadsheets have been around forever, and so people have used spreadsheets forever. Even if you look at the NIST risk management framework, it tries to build what ostensibly is a three-dimensional process into a two-dimensional framework, right? Because spreadsheets are two-dimensional and a risk register is two-dimensional. So I think the challenge really is that you're trying to get people to take a, a modern perspective on security in their environment when they've traditionally done this the same way for, for 30, 40 years. Now, the interesting thing about this for me is that, you know, if we look at how technology has evolved, this, in my mind, has just made the problem even more procedural and more operational, right? You know, like 15, 20 years ago, you bought a desktop or you bought a computer, and then you had to go and separately go and build a control for encrypting the data within that environment, right? And, you know, we look at early SOC, before it was SOC, right, when it was uh, SaaS, et cetera. They came out as accounting frameworks protecting the value of assets because servers were expensive, et cetera, right? So you go from this traditional mindset of what we're actually doing is we're protecting infrastructure, when the reality today, we're in a kind of cloud-based world, you really have to think about protecting data. Fundamentally, it's the data that has the value. Of course, there's an intrinsic financial value for some of your assets, but increasingly you don't own those physical assets. So really it's about thinking about how do you actually protect data? And go back to my example of the desktop and the laptop is again, 15 years ago, you didn't have to go out and buy a separate product and install an encryption device on that laptop. Well, Every laptop today comes with encryption in, right? We just talked a, a few minutes ago about the cloud, right? When you deploy your services in an AWS environment, AWS mer- you're getting a basic level of security built in. So in my view, the technical part of building a security program has never been easier, right? The tools exist there. In fact, the problem is there's too many tools now, right? And the challenge for the modern-day system was, how do I basically choose which tools to implement to, to protect against these controls? And then more importantly, how do I manage all these tools across my portfolio? Because every tool that I bring into the organization, of course, it provides me some layer of defense, but it's also another threat, right? It's also another point of vulnerability. It's also another point that might be mismanaged and give me, give me a false sense of security. So now the kind of modern, the assist has kind of given us a much more complicated landscape, again, which is more of an operational and logistical challenge
0: rather than a technical challenge. Absolutely. And I think that that even brings more emphasis on the fact that clients need to really understand what data is important to them because with all of the extra tools with all the you know complicated landscape of technology moving at the speed of light every day new new technologies uh, being developed you know if if you don't know it's critical when it comes to deploying something like this or, or bringing this into your organization you need to start off somewhere and i think that's where where a lot of people fail early on was when we look at patching patching was kind of an afterthought after you know we all hit the internet and you know home computers became a thing I think patching became one of those things where, oh, it's a pain in the ass, right? But the problem is, is we've kept that mentality for over 20 years, and we're still doing it, and we're doing it with data and privacy as well. Um, and that, that's one of the things that, that I'm a big advocate for is privacy and, and protecting your data. However, to be honest, I mean, let's, let's be transparent here. How, how much privacy do we actually still have? You know, when you, when you look at the different programs and stuff running, you know, and the different requirements by MSSPs and, and service providers to, you know, allow access to other organizations, that to me is is the most important. If I was a new company trying to build a security company or building a security program, I would really focus on what data would keep me awake at night if it left my door. Um, and with, you know, AWS, you mentioned AWS. And, and one of the things that I've ran into with, with cloud services is that, you know, you're right, when, when you hand your data off to a cloud service, they have their own controls. But here's where I think people fail, is they 100% blindly trust those controls, right? So we saw with the leaky buckets and, and stuff like that, that the default security that's put into those instances are, is really good. But if you go in and make a minor change, it could completely destroy that security. Um, depending on how different functions within AWS rely on different controls. So I think it's really important not only to identify your data, but also once you have, if you're involved in cloud services, really understand the security of that cloud and what and what they do to provide that security. Because I, I think a lot, a lot of that's overlooked and uh, taken for granted.
1: Yeah, look, I think once you start thinking about this concept as data rather than physical infrastructure, it opens up a whole different set of of, of conundrums for you. First of all, increasingly today, it's not even just one copy of that data, right? You have data copied in multiple places. So the same point of information, customer information, healthcare information can be copied in multiple places. The other thing that we have is, you know, we've well evolved away from the point where we can protect the data within a single source and say, hey, we'll keep the bad guys out because because that data is copied everyone across the board. You, you simply can't do it that way. In fact, since COVID, we went through a period where we start protecting the database and whose access is it, accessing it and where they were to access it we can't even do that today right we, you know some of the large organizations and enterprise companies still have controls around physical devices etc but increasingly in the mid-market right any organization today allow people to access information from their mobile device from their laptop from their home workstation etc so the access point you know that people are coming into that data has fundamentally changed as well right but it really comes down to again this concept i keep coming back to this point of intent what is your objective because the moment you start setting this, this, this kind of concept of, hey, I'm going to implement these controls, and once I've implemented these controls, I'm good, right, is the moment you basically start realizing controls are simply ways of remediating and reducing risk, not eliminating. It's important to understand that this is hard and it's never easy. Where I get frustrated is when I see organizations advertising their service to say, hey, we make security easy, right? They're selling you a false objective right this is hard right you know we're we're in this kind of accelerating war with people who want access to this information uh, and we're trying to kind of protect against that and and we need to make sure that organizations understand this is hard. There's too many executives with the organizations that think that look, my biggest focus right now is bringing in the next client. So all I need is a certificate to basically say that you know I'm secure or I've passed my audit and my client's going to trust me. And don't get me wrong, I understand that. I understand the need to build a business and to grow a business. But that sets unrealistic expectations within the person running the security organization because now they're trying to either just give that certificate or try and give some sort of level of assurances. And I talk a lot about this kind of disconnect between the way that the executive team uh, and C-suite talk and the, the security team talk. Right? They're, they're not talking the same language. And, you know, what they often have to do in order to get their budget approved, the commitments they have to make. In order to get their budget approved, are really unattainable. And so when that's this is why you see whenever things do go wrong and they're going to go wrong, right? Uh, when things do go wrong, oftentimes is the CISO that gets fired because the CEO goes holding you told me you had this under control. Instead of them having an active conversation about okay, what's an acceptable level of risk and how much do we want to invest in trying to get that that risk level to a point that's convenient for or comfortable for us both. Yeah, that's that's
0: Always been a dilemma too is identifying acceptable risk. And I think that, you know, when you're when you're a new CISO and you're in, in a new company, acceptable risk and and what data is important, what assets are critical, what operation, you know, functionality is critical. Like there's a lot to to take in. So I, I think with with your platform, I think this would make any CISO a lot happier when it comes to sleeping at night and be able to mature that program faster. Um, you know, I I hate to see CISO is being dumped in the water and being used as bait. And I've seen it so many times where a company will hire a CISO just to put a blame on that CISO. Or if a breach occurs, he's a first person cut out. Um, when it's really a whole organizational prog- uh, problem, you know, when you look at the different controls that go into place, you look at the different audits and different compliances, it's not just data. It's also financial. It's also national security risk. You know, there's a lot that plays into it. So I hate, I hate it when I see CISOs being targeted because of one failure. You know, that, I think that's a mindset that we need to get away from and, and, you know, the whole witch hunt and trying to blame somebody. Instead of addressing the problem and mitigating it the next time, they always chase after you know, who's responsible. Well, let's forget about that. Let, let's find out how we fix this.
1: Yeah, I agree, and look, I think we're seeing an evolution over the course of time. Now, I'm biased because I'm an operational system, right? My background is operational. I've got a, a, a reasonable degree of technical acumen, but you know, I, I didn't grow up as a software engineer. I didn't grow up as, a, as, as a, an IT ops person, right? I grew up as a kind of, kind of quality uh, operations person. But I think some systems don't help themselves because. You know, look, you can come out of an IT background and still have an operational mindset, but I still see too many. And you see that you see this the way that that, that vendors sell to CISOs today as well, right? They try and sell these silver bullets. They try and sell these automated solutions. There's a whole group of compliance suites on the on the market today. that talk about getting you through your SOC two in two weeks or two months, or whatever, and focus all about you know, look at the number of integrations we have, right? And we have all these integrations with Promethe Integration, and it changes the conversation, and it's difficult for us because now all of a sudden we're trying to sell into an organization and it's like, how many integrations do you have rather than how many controls do you support, right? right. And, you know, people are always surprised when I tell them that most security program, uh, in most security programs, you know, 85% of the controls are non-technical, right? 85% of what you need to do is about onboarding and offboarding people. It's about basically making sure you're training people, making sure you have good documentation, make sure you have good, you know, checks and balances. You're doing your weekly, monthly, quarterly you know, you know, checks, right? It's not about copying your production data into a mirrored environment, which brings its own risks, right? Not only are you taking your AWS server entry and and server inventory and key information and putting it in another platform, right? The question then becomes, what are you doing with it, right? What happens if that integration or API fails? How do you know that the information is coming through? So, you know, when I talk to auditors today and they look at those platforms, they're thinking, my goodness, right? You know, you've just introduced a whole bunch of new risk into this platform. I was talking. Someone recently about, again, the coin that you mentioned, FedRAMP, right? You think about it from a FedRAMP perspective, if you're bringing that production data into your compliance platform, right? All of a sudden now that compliance platform becomes in scope, it becomes another risk, right? So I don't understand And someone needs to tell me why is that I speak to so many CISOs who basically say, Oh, no, 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 I want these integrations because it's going to automate, it. it's going to reduce my costs but I'm willing to go all the extra work for the other 85%. And these organizations are out flagging this as making it more secure. I don't have a problem with the organizations and the tool themselves. The challenge I have with them is this kind of overselling of what they do, right? They give the organization the perspective that if you pull in these production systems and you map it against the template that we provide you and we deliver that green checkbox to you, then you're good, right? And they couldn't be further from being good, right? Even if you do everything right, as we've talked about, you probably still have to be managing a certain amount of risk, right? So we focus again, you know, we have a lot of those integrations as well. We just don't sell based on them because we don't think that's a responsible way to go. We talk about having purposeful integrations because there's no point going through the effort of, building that integration, pulling that information into your platform, unless you're going to do something with the data, compare it, what we call is the comparing the uh, what should be versus the what is, so that you can basically measure the delta between the two and identify, oh my goodness, this platform is supposed to have encryption switched on, and we can see as we've kind of done the synchronization that it switched off, and, and we can then go and take action on that, and that, that action can be recorded. That's where the auditor wants to see, the auditor's coming in to, for the most part to make sure... Are you doing what you say you do? And if that's a prescriptive framework that you're seeing, like a FedRAMP or a high trust that is very prescriptive in what you're supposed to do, are you doing what the framework says you do? That's what the auditor is doing. And again, but the audit is just a method to give some level of comfort to other people within, you know, the, your board, your management team, your clients, that you've got some degree of control and you're putting some degree of effort into your security posture. Signing up for some of these template systems that say that it's easy, it should never be easy. Yeah. Building in, in a security program should never be easy, right? Why would you buy a platform that says we're going to make it easy, right? Because, again, that's like going to your doctor and saying, I don't need to do all this diet and exercise, doctor. My Fitbits tells me I'm getting enough steps done. every. Week. I'm good.
0: Right, <laughs> right, exactly. And I think that's that's the mindset that a lot of people have fallen into over the years. A lot hasn't changed when it comes to the mindset of people in cyber IT. You know, IT ops. It's the same. It's the same mindset. I think it's always been. And I think with CISOs, I see a lot of them coming into into the industry, and th- they would rather pay somebody to hand them tools that do everything than to actually take chunks of it, understand it nail it down, then bring a tool in to maintain it and monitor that. To me, when, when you're building a network and you're trying to revamp security, the most important part is to really understand your network. And if you're hiring somebody to, that comes in and says, oh, we can do this overnight. And it's so easy, you don't have to do anything. That scares me because I want to know what's going on. I want to see the progress. I want to see what work is going into it. And you're right With with a lot of these companies, they promise a lot of things. And the biggest pet peeve I have is when a security company comes in with a platform and says, oh, yeah, we can definitely integrate with XYZ. We actually have an API that you can buy from us to connect to that. And I'm like, wait a minute, I I don't want to buy an API. You're supposed to be here to help me, like not rob me.
1: Yeah, well, and look, some of them are killing. Kind of like, you know, it's a race to how many integrations it can support, right? There's one advertising right now, like 80 integrations, but then you want to look at integrations. It's five cloud providers, It's a few project management tools, It's a couple of HR tools. I mean, how many project management tools are you going to be using within your platform, right? And so you actually, when you actually look at, you know, the tools that are compatible with your organization, some of them are, some of them aren't. but. This is what I can encourage people to do. Then go and look at what is the integration actually doing, right? Again, I really want to stress, you spend all this time to basically set up the API. You're basically pulling basic information in, right? You've got to map the individual fields that are coming in and then they bring it into your platform. Okay, great. You've now got a set of data attributes in your platform. What are you doing with that information, right? Right. Great, it's there, right? I've created this additional risk point, right, in terms of a, Potential broken API, but also now this data is in another place again. So my risk posture has gone up. But what is the purpose and the value of me having that information within that platform? And so that's kind of what we're trying to encourage our clients to do. Because again, building a program or building a security program, you know, again is more. Now, look, I'm I'm not trying to have a go at kind of uh, technical systems because obviously, you know, it's it's hard to go through that route, and you know, they're, they're super smart guys. But people get into that route because they love playing with tools. Tools are cool. Right, and so if I if I can go and buy a whole bunch of tools and play with them, if my team can buy a whole bunch of things, that's what I'd love to do. Right, that's what I need to do. So you're kind of they're, they're kind of preaching to kind of like an already sold community that these tools are kind of how I want to do it and how I want to do my business and match it and give me a dashboard and get it automatically done for me, whatever. But the reality is, in today's world, it's too complex for that. Right, we, you're not talking where you could just basically put everything in a box and secure it. Data is everywhere. So you have to go through the hard yards. to your point. you have to define what data do you have. All of it, not just your production data, your finance data, your communication data, right A lot of organizations today don't even think about the fact how much client data do you have in your slack, or in your you know Office 365 environment, right? And what policies are you setting for how people? You know, we get uh, we use Slack in our organization, and I regularly get a request coming through saying, "Hey, um, uh, someone wants to connect this this plugin to your Slack integration." Well, I, you know that needs to go through a process to be reviewed, right? Because all of a sudden. Slack has a lot access to a lot of our data. Our Slack is already connected into some of our core back end systems. like from a, from an HR perspective, if I bring in a third party application to integrate into Slack, how do I know that that's not just going to open the whole Pandora's box for that bad actor to come in through that point of view? But it's made so easy for people to just go and switch on these plugins right into your Chrome browser and all these. Are... So these kind of you know today it's not even just about. You know, whether it's a system or a product, there's so many of these different components that you have to measure that you really have to think of it from a data perspective and who had who, where is this data and who's supposed to have access to that. And then build a really effective process for not only onboarding that data, onboarding those individuals, but tracking and managing and making sure that you know what you said is supposed to be is in fact what is. Exactly.
0: Exactly. I think uh, data integrity and and you know just the the ethics behind data transmission is being being questioned quite a bit, and it probably brings a lot of highlights to your to your platform as well. But you know the the current Chinese and, and TikTok issue on Capitol Hill, you know, it seems to be like really booming with the data privacy and let's protect that data. You know, e- even though that that the issue behind TikTok really isn't the data or where it's going, it's more advertising issues and who's getting the money. But it brings to, it brings to light a lot of good questions. You know, when you bring in an API, you're bringing in that third party. How can you trust that third party? How can you trust that that, that your data is not going to be, you know, somewhere else? And I think that you know, along with data function, data operation, data importance, I think also data security. And and when API comes in, when a third party comes in, I think that really needs to be questioned. And in the past, I don't think we did a lot of that. When I worked at different di- different industries, we would have vendors come in, and the API was important because we wanted that full functionality, right? But I don't think we put enough focus on, well, let's reverse this API. Where is this data going? What are you doing with this API? How is it hooking? Um, a lot of people skip that because, again, you know, technology moves so fast, cybersecurity, the whole field is, is a fire hose. So you want to get things done as quick as possible. And I can see how having a trusted advisor and a trusted platform help you along the way would help you jump over a lot of these hurdles because you really don't know who to trust. They talk about zero trust. They talk about high trust. They talk about all this trust, but really who can you trust?
1: Well, and look, the, the idea is that, you know, I mean, I, I've always looked, look, the concept of zero trust, right. Uh, you know, is that was actually uh, coined the thing back in the nineties by a professor in Sterling university in Scotland. So um, mm-hmm. it's amazing how in the last couple of years, somehow it's become, you know, the kind of popular thing to talk about. But look, I think, the key thing, I think, for any organization to understand is, you know, have I done a, a landscape assessment or threat assessment of the data that I have, right? And that has to be the first thing that any, any organization does to understand it. And then build my security posture up on based on that information, based on that data. The, the, the people that are more likely to cause some sort of problem for you are gonna be the people in the organization. And I see all these GRC platforms that never involve them in the process, right? And right. so what we try to do within our platform is we try to turn everyone within the organization, instead of thinking of them as you know the threats to the organization, and clearly everything's a threat, we try and turn them into basically the, the front line of the inventory of your arm, right? You engage them into the process, right? We enroll everyone within the organization into our platform. We distribute all our policies and procedures so we can confirm that they've been approved and they've been acknowledged. We run training through our platform so we can make sure that we have a record to make sure that not only do we simplify the distribution of the training, but we can track and make sure that everyone's going through the training all the recurring tasks are managed through the platform so that every single person that logs into the platform can see very specifically, what is my responsibility towards the security of the organization? And have I done what I'm supposed to do as part of that responsibility? And that's really the only way you can get to the point where you can get to an accepted risk level. Right. And, you know, If you have that level of visibility, if you have that level of insight and data, you can then start having effective business conversations with the executive team. You can start talking specifically about risk models. You can start talking specifically about uh, if we spend money in this area, how much it's going to impact or reduce the overall risk of my organization. Because now I have the data behind all the transactions, all the activities and all the gaps and then the value that we have our platform maps to over 150 security standards so this kind of you know secondary compliance program right right we can then basically map all the evidence to whatever compliance framework you're operating against not to kind of confirm that you're doing everything perfectly but to give the auditor an insight to go in and verify you're at least doing things in line with the way that the framework is determining you to do that
0: Right. This is not a golden ticket to compliance or or some, you know, golden status. This is actually the process and the progress through that and a trusted advisor to help you along the way. Um, I hate it when people buy a platform because they say, well, I want to get, you know, FIPS compliant or I want to get, you know, whatever compliant. And so they buy a platform to get them there and it fails. It doesn't get them quite there. And then they miss their compliance and they complain about the platform. And I'm like, it's not the platform, it's the people, you know, you've got to do the footwork. So, one of the,
1: so we, we used to, in the early days, compare ourselves to Salesforce, right? And the way that um, uh, Salesforce doesn't sell for you, it helps you sell. Um, right. You know, our platform doesn't make you secure, it helps you become secure, right? You don't have people buying Salesforce and saying, oh, we're, we weren't able to sell a product, so it's Salesforce's fault, right? right. Uh, you know, the idea is these tools are there as an aid, but, you know, from a Salesforce perspective, if your product's not any good, doesn't matter how good a CRM platform you've been there, you're not going to do very, very well, right? Likewise with us, there's still a level of effort, which has come back to my earlier point. I don't like these organizations that say, we make it easy, because again, it's never going to be easy. This is probably the biggest challenge that any organization takes on. You think about, you know, I have one slide that I use sometimes that talks about the number of people within an organization, the number of assets within an organization, right? The number of uh, 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 controls within a kind of basic framework. You start multiplying all that together, you get a sense of the scale of the challenge that people are taking on, right? So, you know, I think that you know, making or talking about it would have been easy. Does the compliance manager of the system disservice for the size and scale of the problem we are taking on? And again, you know, I have great respect for anyone who takes this challenge on because it really is a kind of really, really uh, Herculean, you know, task to take. Um, but, you know, I think the, the organizations, the people that talk about it being easy are, are making it simple, are kind of doing those people a
0: disservice. Yeah. And there's a lot of companies that, that jump into cybersecurity to make a quick buck, too. And, and they're the ones with the overnight solutions it, it tends to, to be. Um, so if someone wants to get a hold of you and, and contact you and talk more about your platform or maybe even employ you know, your company, how would they go about getting in contact with you?
1: So I mean, you can get a lot more information. We have like case studies. We have lots of resources on our website, which is estendio.com. Just go there. Uh, uh, lots of information there. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. And you can tweet at me, uh, 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 which is at C, uh, CEO, and and you can email me as well. My email is gale at Awesome,
0: Grant. It's been a pleasure having you on. Any last words for the listeners?
1: No, look, I think that, you know, organizations shouldn't be scared of this, right? I think that, you know, as I said before, the challenges people think you need to be perfect. You know, I tell any organization, big or small, just take the first steps, right? It's an incremental process, right? You'll be amazed when you look back at how far you've come. I remember building our very first security program and at the time thinking how proud it was of what we've done. And then, you know, A couple of years later, I looked back and realized how it was, but it allowed me the foundation to build the next layers, the next steps, the next parts. And so the key thing for any organization is doing something is better than doing nothing. Doing a little bit more is better than doing something and just keep that journey going.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's been a pleasure and I hope to talk to you soon. And I wish you the best of luck with your your company and the platform. And and it sounds fantastic. So with that, I'll I'll go ahead and close it. Thanks, Grant. Thanks, Mike. Cheers.